God. There's a story of redemption about how Christ died for us, and it's called propitiation. And then there's a story of Christ being our helper in times of temptation because he suffered when he was tempted. Now, you have heard me speak of text as kind of a sandwich, and I look at this and see that the center part of this is verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, why do we have Christmas? We have Christmas because we need Christmas to have Good Friday and to have Easter. We need Christmas, the incarnation, to be made like us, which the writer of Hebrews in the first chapter really gets us to look at. He says he's made like us yet without sin. But yet, one of the things he does that should draw us in is he's doing this because he's continuing the theme that he brought up in the previous verses. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. When you think about Jesus Christ, do you think about that? That he had to come to be like us in the context of this verse so he could die for us. But the incarnation, becoming, being made like his brothers in every respect. And it's interesting how before they, the writer introduces the death, that it, it, it describes two tasks, offices, what, however you want to look at it, that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest. Now that high priest was the one that stood in the presence of God, as this passage reminds us, is in the service of God. But he's there representing the people, and the idea that he is given in terms of what Jesus Christ is, is merciful and faithful. Now we read Psalm 51, we know about how merciful God can be. We know how powerful the grace of God can be. But the face that is being given to Jesus Christ, getting ready to describe his death on the cross, is merciful and faithful. See, we, we live in a culture that through social media has become very, very judgmental. Very quick to hide behind the internet and condemn people. Whereas Jesus Christ is presented as someone who is merciful and faithful. And see, that's what the church needs to present to the world. That the church needs to be merciful and faithful. That we stand as a kingdom of priests, as we are called to be the royal priesthood, to stand before God. But it's all in service of God. And that's one of the things that the text reminds us, that first and foremost, what Jesus did on the cross was in service to God for us. See, it's not something we make up, we decide, oh, I like this part of Christianity, I like that part of Christianity, I like this verse, but I don't like that verse, and, or that verse, you know, and we kind of pick and choose like it's a cafeteria, a smorgasbord, a buffet table, whatever you want to use to describe it that you can pick and choose, but no, it's God coming through a merciful and a faithful high priest. 
And he says, here's what it is. Do you have that image when you pray in Jesus' name, when you pray through Jesus, that he is merciful and faithful? Does that comfort you in your prayer and your knowledge of God, that he is merciful and faithful? That he's not going to give up on you? That he is going to be merciful no matter what's happened? I mean, the, the, you know, I think one of the biggest illustrations is that confession of faith from Psalm 51. That here's David, he's committed adultery and he's committed murder. And God forgives him. How many people need to be forgiven to have that peace and that lack of loneliness, that lack of anxiety? And here we have a merciful and a faithful high priest. Someone who's there standing, representing us to the Father. Then you have this last part, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is a word that is not used often in describing Christ's death on the cross. We have redemption, reconciliation, atonement, words like that. But here is propitiation. And propitiation is a, a rather graphic way to describe it because what propitiation means is turning away the wrath of God. Propitiation is what is illustrated on the top covering of the Ark of the Covenant, when it's sprinkled with God, blood and the wrath of God is turned away because of the blood. See, God's wrath has been turned away for the sins of the people, for your sins, for my sins. How many people walk around in shame and guilt when they don't have to because of what Christ has done? We understand how serious sin is because Christ had to die on the cross for it. In this word propitiation of turning away God's wrath, that Christ has absorbed the wrath of God. That our sins have been paid for in such a dramatic way that he made propitiation for the sins of the people. See, at the beginning and ending of verses, verse 15, it's his brothers, it's the people. There is this corporate collection in redemption in our identity that we are not alone. That's one of the things that you're going to see again and again in the book of Hebrews is who we refer to. See, I think one of the most comforting things that a child of God, notice I use child of God, is that we can be called children of God. And that's why I say that one of the great stories here is God's adoption. Because when we look at it in the beginning in verse 14, that the children share in flesh and blood. So he had to become incarnate. He had to be made like them. But it is the children. And the reason he does that is for our salvation. Remember in the last sermon I gave you in verse 14, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers of verse 11. Behold, I am the children of God has given me. 
It's tied into Christ being called the Son of God in, in Hebrews 1. See, when you look at it, it says, He himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. See, he's putting it in a conflict thing. He's putting it in a battle between the Son of God and the devil. He's putting it in the one who gives people the fear of death and the one who frees us from the fear of death. That he might destroy the one who has the power of death. See, death of the past, say, in the 19th century and beyond that, death was common. I grew up with a story about that the second son of the second son in my family line, and I was the first son, so I didn't worry about this, but the second son of the second son died before they were 40. And my father lived under that shadow because his father was murdered when my father was seven. So my father waited. Now, what I did not understand, and when I looked at it and realized that the second son of the second son died by the time they were 40, is in the United States, most men died by the time they were 40. Health. And I did not realize, because my grandfather's people were farmers in western Ohio, how dangerous farming could be for farmers. My father tells, told a story about how he was, because he used to be sent to the farms on the summer to get him out of the Pittsburgh, out of the city. He was sent to the farms, and he remembers one time he was told he was plowing this hill, and it just was, something went wrong, he said. The tractor turned and flipped. Now, fortunately, he was thrown far from the tractor, so he was not hurt. <clears throat> but he said he knew of relatives and young cousins who died in tractor accidents then, in the 20s and 30s. The fear of death is something we have almost blocked. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that probably nobody in this room has watched or thought about. But in the United States, and I have a hunch maybe in England, two of pop culture's themes are zombies <clears throat> and vampires. Because both of them represent, even though it's evil, eternal life. If you're a zombie, you keep going. If you're a vampire, you keep going. People want stories that they keep going, that they don't die. Even though they're far-fetched. <clears throat> but Christ came to destroy the power of death. Do you have that freedom? To know that even though your body may not die, you will go to be with him. You will be with 
your loved ones who loved him. And see, the children, those who are adopted, and this is reinforced in verse 16 when it says that he helps the offspring of Abraham. See, he says in verse 16, it's not angels. That's another thing that people, you know, they want us to become angels. I don't want to mean angels. Angels can't be redeemed. People can. We have this, I use the term from America, this hallmark version, this, um, it's a wonderful life image that, you know, when the bell rings, an angel gets its wings, and you have all these people, the people become angels. No! The redemption is for the offspring of Abraham. It's for people. It's part of the covenant. It's part of his promises. It's part of this long arc of redemption. See, people are migrating all over the world. In my country, four to 5,000 people a day want to come in. People are leaving their homelands and going places. How do you give people security? Now, some of you may or may not know about way back in your families. You know that I tell, I tell the mythological stories. But when you look back and you see the Vikings, the Anglo-Saxons, the Romans... The Normans, the Irish, you know, you think of all of the things of people that have come and gone. You know, where is our identity? And here he's reminding us that we can have our identity and the promises made to Abraham through Christ. That's who we are. That's the everlasting. That is the security that no matter where Abraham's children are, they are the children of God. He helps the offspring of Abraham. Now, verse 18 describes part of that help. For because he himself suffered when tempted. Do you think about Christ suffering when he was tempted? It says he did. He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, this is part of, of Christ's identification with us, Christ's identification with the life that we live. We know the stories of the temptation after 40 days. We know being taken up on mountains in the temple and other places in his temple. He's tempted and he responds with the word of God. But see, after fasting and all that went on for 40 days, that he suffered But see, the last part of today's sermon, the last part of the text, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, we, we live in a world that just wants us to reach out and grab things. We live in a world where we could become discouraged because we're not what's there. We don't have what's there. That we are being tempted through covetousness, through other things. And see, you have to hear the difference here. He helped those who are being tempted. 
being tempted, and I want to say this so that you remember whether you're young or old, being tempted is not the same thing as sinning. We have to understand that. We have to understand, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Christ can help you when you are tempted. The first thing you have to do is to acknowledge that I'm being tempted. Now, I know some things, but not a lot, about the ministry that this church has had in the past with people who have issues with addictions. In the Air Force, I... I, when I was retiring, I went through and I looked at all my training certificates. I was trained to deal with alcoholics, drug addicts, sex addicts, gambling addicts, and religious addicts. People who turn possibly good things into bad things, destructive things. But one of the things you learn as you work with people who struggle with addiction or who abuse certain things is that they struggle with temptation. They don't want the substance, the activity, to be what defines them. And so how do you help people who struggle with a strong temptation that is destructive you can help them with Jesus Christ. You can give them a new affection for the one that loved them first. Because what is an addiction? What is abuse of a substance or an activity? It is where you put your priorities, where you put your love. That that's what's going to satisfy you. Have Jesus satisfy you. He is able, hear this, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, that can help you, and that can help you help someone else. See, I know that I'm never the answer. I may be the one who helps someone find the answer in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that I don't have room for counseling and all kinds, you know, I know that going to rehab, going to inpatient services and things like that can be helpful, but I know that Jesus can help those who are being tempted. But the first thing is to say, I'm being tempted. I'm being tempted to sin against God. Because Christ came to die for my sins. He was that propitiation that turned away the wrath of God. So if those sins have been turned away, why would I want to continue in that sin that I know leads to death? Do you understand when Christ went through his temptations, when he suffered there, he did it so he could help us? How many times do we believe people more if they have gone through the same Temptation. They have gone through the same experience. In this simple verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted. And see, what you need to remember is that part of Christ's life was being tempted. 
He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is where we must be willing to examine our inner life, our, our ups and our downs, our desires, how things affect us. Because that's where temptations start. They can start with a taste, with a small experience. One of the things that happened to me when I was in London was that I went to lunch with some people, and to go where we were going to go, we, got, we followed this trail that led behind some buildings, and then you walk over a bridge of the, um, of the railroad and down, and you know, we're over by some places where we could have lunch. But when I come up the steps and I turn, what do I see? I see two hypodermic needles and five discarded needles on the bridge. And I'm smart enough because I'm old enough because I've seen so much to know what was going on there at some point. that a block and a half from the church is a place where people use drugs in public. Now, I'm not saying that that necessarily happens around here, but we need to be willing to look at the signs of people who are being tempted that we know, and then speak into their lives, offer them Christ, offer them someone who can help with their temptations. That may be your window, your door into somebody's life to offer them Christ to help them with their struggles. And some of you who have helped people with addiction issues know how long that can be a struggle, how messy that can be. But see, Christ is willing to come along those with, to those who are being tempted. So we must be willing to join him, to come along to help those who are being tempted to do things that will destroy their lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who redeemed us through being a propitiation, who was there when we were adopted to be the children of God, and who, are, who is there to help us in a time of temptation. We pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.